You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new film, Goodbye Solo, our guest today, internationally acclaimed filmmaker Ramin Barani, follows two men forging an improbable friendship that will change both of their lives forever. Winner of the Venice Film Festival's prestigious International Critics Prize, Goodbye Solo is the latest film from Barani, whose previous work includes Chop Shop and Man Push Cart. Goodbye Solo opens April 10th in Los Angeles at the Sunset Five in the Landmark and in Pasadena at the Playhouse Seven. Ramin Barani, welcome to Film School. Thanks, and, and thanks for having me back. Oh, well, thanks very much for coming back. We didn't frighten you off, I guess. You're... <laughs> no, well, I'm, I'm happy you've been there since the first film, so I appreciate yes, that. Yes, and they're, they're all. What, what a trio of films. You must be very proud. To, I mean, there's got to be a, a good feeling inside of you to put together uh, three finely crafted films like this that have had such warm acceptance. You, you never know what's going to happen, and yeah. I'm you know, really fortunate that you know, critics, festivals, and audiences have responded, and especially with Goodbye Solo, it seems to have had the biggest reaction, and I'm, I'm, you know, really happy for, not just for me, but for all the people involved in the film. It's a a beautiful film, very good looking, and and very well put together. The narrative is just, uh, (laughs) works wonderfully well. And you're going to be, just uh, while we're still talking about the, uh, the, uh, where it's going to be playing, at the Landmark in Los Angeles uh, this Friday, is that correct? Yes, I'll be there doing Q&As Friday night. Friday night for for uh, every performance of it, or or the I think I think the two evening screenings. Okay, perfect. All right, now let's get into the film here. Goodbye, Solo. I, I remember. Uh, I think the last time we spoke with you, you were just starting to work on this. Can you uh, refresh our memory and tell us how you got in? What inspired you, and how you got into this film? Um, you know, the film is set in Winston Salem, North Carolina, which is where I was born and raised, and I came to meet a real taxi driver from Senegal um, who does not want to be known, but he was an incredibly charming, friendly, open person, the way that Solo's character is in the film. Mm -hmm. And um, when he told me that he didn't actually own a car or a taxi and had to be driven around town or had to walk, I thought it was enough to want to spend time with him. (laughs) And um, I was lucky enough to spend about six months with him, um, learning more about him, learning more about the taxi business, and then combine that with uh, an elderly gentleman I used to see standing outside of an assisted living home, which in a suburb, it's weird to be standing around on a road. It's not like New York where people, you know, walk on the streets. And I started to wonder about his, his condition in, in our society, and I had done, you know, some volunteer work at a nursing home in the past, and I thought about putting him in the taxi with this storyline that the film is about, and, and then combining that with Blowing Rock, which is a real place I've been visiting since I was a child, and and it is known for having a wind that is strong enough to blow a person back up into the sky. Yeah. Yeah, it, in fact, uh, isn't there some uh, uh, scientific reports on it blowing snow upward, too? Yes, and these scientific reports are from a very esteemed book, which I'm sure you know and respect, called the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, 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 there really is um, a very powerful wind. Since I was a kid, I would go there and throw sticks, and, and lots of people in North Carolina do that and know about it. And there was also a legend about uh, two Native American lovers who were forbidden to see one another 
And in a moment of despair, the man jumped, and the woman prayed to the wind gods for him to come back, and he did. This is not mentioned in the film, but it is known for a place that has such a wind. Wow. They used, used to go picnicking up there. Is that right? Is that what you just yeah, said? And yeah, that's wow. true. And, and, and just like in the film, I, me and my brother used to throw sticks and bark, and, and on windy days, it really would blow up. I mean, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. Well, what, I, what I like... Uh, Outside of the film, I visited your site the other day, and, and you did a Google Maps on all the locations yeah. of, of where you shot. And I appreciate that. I wish more films would do that. It was, a, it was nice to see locations that way instead of uh, you know, just reading about them at uh, International Movie Database or uh, Internet Movie Database. You, you can uh, go to the places, look at a map, see where they are, see where you traveled in the making of the film, which right there in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Did, was that a, a, a good experience, going back to your hometown? It, it was, and I have to credit, actually, Dusty, Dustin Smith from Roadside Attractions. That was his idea to do that. Oh. And one day he sent it to me as a surprise, and I thought it was a great idea, and I'm glad that you're responding to it. Um, because, in fact, in all three of the films, real locations was important. Um, the stories were inspired, even though they're, they're, they are fictional stories, they were inspired by real locations, by real people. And here it was a great chance to kind of relearn my hometown and a lot of the places I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. In fact, taxi business in, in small towns like North, in Winston, North Carolina, unlike New York or probably L.A., I don't know as much about L.A., but, um, you know, taxis are, are things that rich people usually take. Mm-hmm. In a suburban town, it's, it's working-class people who take taxis often because they may not be able to afford a car or car insurance, or to fix their car if it's broken. And so the six months I was with this driver, I mean, 90 to 95% of the time we were in working-class neighborhoods, oftentimes quite poor neighborhoods, um, and, and I did not know those areas of town that, that well. And um, it, was, it was an opportunity to learn about that. And, and in all three of the films I've had uh, um, the good fortune of learning about people and locations and ways of living that I wasn't familiar with, and that's a big reason why I want to make these films. Uh, we're speaking with Ramin Barani, and the film is Goodbye Solo. It's opening this Friday, three theaters here in Los Angeles, uh, the Lemley, uh, Lemley Sunset, Five. Sunset Five, the uh, Playhouse Seven in Pasadena, and the Landmark in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, because I do want to bring this up, your film, all three of your films, and as you just described, location is an extremely important part of, of the, the story. It, it really is another character in your stories. Uh, in Man Push Cart, uh, just watching the act of getting to work every day for, for this, uh, for this uh, um, sale. What am I trying to say? Cart sales uh, uh-huh. person. Push Cart Vendor. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I was, I just couldn't get to it. And then uh, and Chop Chop, which I just absolutely love. I, and, and that whole milieu, that, that social structure that you, uh, that we see in Chop Shop. And then here we have, as you've put it, an urban environment. I'm sorry, a suburban rural environment. Good grief. What's wrong with me? Uh, 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 this rural environment, and you see how people actually live and actually how they get around. And the terrain is a part of this film as much as uh, the, the characters. Now, now in, in the cab itself, uh, when you were in, in with this cabbie, uh, d- did you borrow any of the characters or any of the scenes uh, and put them in the film? Some of them, yes. Uh-huh. Now, it wouldn't have been uh, the nefarious guy who had uh, rocks thrown at the cab. I don't want to admit to that on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if, by the way, I wonder if we should say 
what the story's about. Yes. Yeah, well, sure. You know, we'll, I we'll say get that to that. Because yeah. in the first two minutes of the film, the audience will learn it. Yeah. And I would stress, I really hope audiences will go there right at the beginning and not miss that first scene. That's right. Mm-hmm. So so and, let's let's go. Let's. And walk. the story is about this um, young Senegalese taxi driver in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, who's very open, very friendly, very charming, and he's hired right in the first scene of the film by William, an elderly Caucasian Southern guy, very tough guy who wants to be driven to Blowing Rock, a mountain two hours away. He wants to go in two weeks' time, exactly on October the twentieth, and he does not want to come back. Yeah. And Solo suspects he's going there to jump to kill himself. And so he decides to, in the course of these two weeks, charm his way into this man's life and, and change his mind. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Solo is a very charming man. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and he's kind of funny. I mean, the first yeah. half of the film is quite funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and actually that's why this works so well is uh, he's an infectious personality. And you can, it's easy to see him being, wanting to, uh, to be a part of, of uh, William's life. He just has that natural, easy charm about him, and and a, and a compassionate human being as well. So you can see why that would happen. Now, you, you know, also I think Solo needs William in a way. He, you know, he Solo has a dream to become a flight attendant, which he's not pursuing because his wife wants him to do something else. He has a Hispanic wife and a and a, and a stepdaughter whom he loves very much. But in knowing William, Solo starts to change and become a new person. And and I think unconsciously he he needs William. And I would also stress this movie is not Legend of Bagger Vance or Bucket List or these kind of, what I think are kind of cheesy films. This is not that at all. Um, and I, I would want to stress that. Okay. Now, the casting for this film, uh, you, you've picked the two characters seem to be, they're, they're right on the money. I know there's Red West, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the uh, other gentleman's name. I know Mike has it, and I'll let him try. Suleiman C. Savani. Wow. Yeah, very good. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> How did you run into Suleiman? See, is that it? Well, Suleiman, uh, Suleiman, whose real nickname is Solo, in fact, he, we looked. When the real taxi driver said he didn't want to be in the film, we looked in North Carolina, New York, L.A. I went to Paris. Tapes came from several African countries, from England. And one day, Solo walked into the office in New York and just smiled. <laughs> and I'm like, there he is, you know. <laughs> and um, in the course of my first conversation with him. Believe it or not, I learned he had been a flight attendant for two years for Air Afrique. Yeah. I mean, it was just yeah. too good to be true. <laughs> and, and the character is, is studying to be a flight attendant. Yeah. And he didn't know that, so yeah. it wasn't like he was tricking me. He didn't, had no idea what the film was about or who I was even. So it was just perfect. And he's a trained actor who never had a chance. This is his big break, and, and he's already taken off. He's already been you know, put into a – he's, he's going to be in a play in New York by um, the Tony Award winner who did Avenue Q. He's one of the three – Three people in the place with a major part, so he's already taking off. Oh, fantastic! Oh, excellent, good for him. He does. He just seems to be uh, personality cons- uh, personified here in terms of his uh, his openness and his. It just seems like a very giving kind of person. I mean, I don't think I don't think it was. Uh, I think that's him. This character that we're we're watching it's on. solo. Yeah. And uh, I read that uh, he didn't know how to drive a car, and yet he's. Uh, <laughs> Learned to drive the cab for the uh, the film. Is that right? Yeah, he's one of the few actors in my films who's ever fooled me. Um, he did not know how to drive, and he failed his driver's license four times in a row. I know three times in a row. On the fourth attempt, he had to go to another county, in fact. He passed, and then he showed up in Winston-Salem. He didn't tell me. He showed up, and I realized, this guy's an awful driver. And then later, when the movie was done, he told me, 
by the way, I didn't know how to draw. <laughs> well, good for him. It shows he's a good actor willing to do anything to get the part. Yeah. And, and the other gentleman uh, who he's, who's driving to Red, I mean, to uh, Blowing Rock, which is Red West, or yeah. William, uh, how did you get, happen to meet him, or how did he uh, get casted? Well, Red West, if you don't know or the audience don't know who Red West is, Red West is Elvis Presley's best friend from childhood. Oof. And when Elvis was a scrawny kid getting picked on, this was the guy standing up for him. And when Elvis <laughs> became Elvis, he was part of the Memphis Mafia, his personal bodyguard. He became a country songwriter, a stuntman in the Elvis films, a bit player in the Elvis films. And then when Elvis passed, he became a Hollywood character, veteran actor, including working for Coppola, um, Oliver Stone, Robert Altman, and then in big films like Glory Road and, and Roadhouse. He's never had a, a leading role until now. This is his first lead role, which is a big honor for me because um, I think he's an amazing actor, yeah. like a Robert Mitchum almost. And um, uh, yeah. we searched the southeast looking for him. And um, he came out of a casting in, in... We basically called all the agents along the southeast. I really wanted a southerner who could walk, talk, look, dress like the south. And he was in Memphis... He sent a tape of himself doing the first scene of the film. I watched it for about five seconds and hit pause and said, this is the guy that's been in my mind for two years. Oh. And he was gracious enough to, to do the film. And he has an amazing face, too. Uh, both, of the, both of them have an amazing face. And I, I know you said before that, that there's, there's the, uh, the town of Winston-Salem, which is a location, but, but there's something about the geography of their faces that plays an awful lot into this, too. Yeah, more, more, much more than my other films, this film is about two men and a relationship much more than a location. And the location and, and the landscape is their faces. They have amazing faces. I've always said, I think it should be a federal offense to touch Red West's face. You know? <laughs> if you touch that man's face, you should be put in prison. Um, now, are there certain actors who have these amazing faces? I'm, no, I'm not talking, you know, beautiful. I'm talking about, and Bill Macy, William Macy, to me, has one of the greatest faces in the history of cinema. It can it can do some amazing things and 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 I think and Nathan's Red right West, I, I yeah. think these 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 two actors have those kinds of faces so we're speaking with Mar- Ramin Barani the film is Goodbye Solo and it, given that it, you're focusing in on the faces uh, I know the first two films you used a lot of handheld is that one reason why you're going to a tripod in in this a lot more or were were well, other uh, considerations. Uh, I would say, actually, Man Push Card is almost 85% tripod. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's cho- because Chop Chop is handheld, and, and I, it was the last film, it's probably more on your mind, Chop Chop is uh-huh. almost 90% handheld. Here, yeah, except for the sequence of Blowing Rock, the entire movie's on a tripod. Um, it's a pretty classical storytelling, and, and in all three of the films, we've tried to be very simple, which is not necessarily easy, but tried to be simple in the camera, the, kind of the way John Ford is, focus just on storytelling and on the emotional truth of the scene. And, and um, you know, there's also the process trailer, because I would say there's only about 15 minutes of the movies in a taxi. The rest of it is in a lot of different locations over the course of two weeks. And um, all the taxi stuff was done on a process trailer, and, and um, the shots were planned according to the relationship of the men, um, where they were in terms of their friendship at that point in the film. Um, and that same game is played in terms of when William is in the back seat when he moves to the front seat. In fact, when Solo is in the back seat at one point, when William returns to the back seat, and, and what that means in terms of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's just, while we're on the subject of, uh, of uh, the actual shooting in the film, uh, I'd like to uh, talk about a little bit about your uh, longtime 
director of photography. That would be Michael Simmons. Yes, Michael Simmons. Yeah. Simmons. Okay, I'm trying to. And uh, he, well, he, Simmons makes him sound like he's a, like a French guy, yeah. really. And in fact, he's just a surfer and a punk rocker, <laughs> and like a really cool guy who happens to be also an amazing cinematographer and a real collaborator, actually. Yeah. He's there from the script stage all the way to the editing, um, and he's quickly become one of the top cinematographers in New York. He's been nominated twice for a Spirit Award. And um, it's a real pleasure to work with him. Well, in addition to his work with you on Man Push Card and Chop Shop, he's also, and this film, Goodbye Solo, uh, one of my favorite documentaries last year was The Order of Myths, and I thought it was just did a remarkable job on, on, on all of those films, but uh, good for him. It, 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 his work there is great, and I, I would say Margaret Brown, in addition to I'm thankful to know her, I think Order of Myths is an amazing film, and, and she's really one of the great documentary filmmakers we have coming up now. Now, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned uh, October 20th uh, as the date where uh, it was all going down for William, where he was going to Blowing Rock. And, and I think you said it, within the shooting, uh, it, that date is when it actually happened, when you were shooting some of those scenes. Am I right about that? Yeah. In yeah. fact, we shot the final sequences October 19, 20, and 21. Blowing Rock is in the Blue Ridge Parkway, which in autumn is known as the most scenic place in America to see the changing of the leaves. Yeah. Um, and we, were specific, we specifically planned to shoot it at that time because I wanted that beauty. I wanted that kind of explosion of life in a moment of, of potentially of death. Yeah. And um, we were also kind of hoping for the fog, which is known in that, in that region to have a lot of fog. And for one day we had no fog. For half a day we had pouring rain. And then we got lucky, and for one and a half days we had fog and had to quickly shoot everything. And I think that that sequence with the fog and, and the colors of the leaves really, I think, takes the movie into a whole other place. Yeah, that, that, uh, the shot of the road and the leaves there uh, was, was beautiful. Now, did, did that take a long time to shoot, that one scene at the end? Uh, the, the scene at, at Blowing Rock? Or? No, the, the one, uh, the, the, it's almost a, a, a bridge, but it's a oh, road. The, fi- that, the final shot of the film. Yeah. No, because, you know, it's shot um, at sunset, and so you have basically 40 minutes. Uh-huh. And we just shot it over and over again for 40 minutes because the fog was shifting so dramatically. I have takes which there's no fog, and I have takes where there's so much fog you can't see anything. Uh-huh. And fortunately, we have the take you see in the film, which is an amazing landscape, an amazing colors, a beautiful sunset, and also a fog that is encroaching into the shot. And um, it happened once in the course of that 40 minutes. And then it was too dark to shoot anymore, and, and we managed to capture it. Uh, Ramin, we're, uh, by the way, we're, we're minor listeners. We're speaking with Ramin Barani. The film is Goodbye Solo. It'll be opening this week in Los Angeles at the uh, Lemley Five on Sunset, the uh, Landmark in Los Angeles, and the Playhouse Seven in Pasadena. Uh, you, we're calling you in Colorado, um, and you're in Colorado because? I'm here at the um, 61st. Um, annual conference on world affairs, and Roger Ebert has been coming here for I think almost thirty some years, which he does something very special here. He shows a movie once in its entirety, and for the rest of the week they have what they call cinema interruptus, which is they will show the film, and either Ebert himself or anyone in the audience can just say stop the movie, and they'll stop the movie and start talking about it shot by shot, frame by frame over the course of the next week. Wow. And, and, of t- course, it's a, a big honor to be here with, with Ebert, but also it's just exciting to be 
a tiny, tiny part of something much bigger. I mean, I went to a panel yesterday to listen to a conversation about um, profits of war, profits of peace, and it includes, you know, people on Obama's defense transition team, you know, generals. I mean, it's just there are scientists here. James Hansen is here, the environmentalist, which I'm really excited to hear him talk and hopefully meet um, because sustainability is obviously a really big issue now, and it's just kind of a really amazing conference here in Boulder. Well, congratulations on uh, on, on being there and uh, yeah. and for a goodbye solo as well. Yes, now, Thank you. What do you have on tap for us? Yeah. What's yeah. the next What's the next project? What are you working on something now? Uh, believe it or not, I'm I'm finishing a script now for a western. Oh, ah, wow! <laughs> and it's a it's a period film, and it's a western like you've never seen before. <laughs> All right. <laughs> can you give us any uh, hints? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I can only tell you that it's crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It, it humorous, crazy, or crazy, crazy? It's crazy. It will have humor, but it's also probably kind of gruesome in a way, too. The, the 1850s American West was not a very friendly time. Okay. Um, that sounds wonderful. It was a pretty vicious time, but um, I'm, I'm excited to finish the script, and, and um, hopefully if we can find the right backers and the right actors, get it together for 2010 shooting. Well, with all the attention that's been um, been focused on, on Goodbye Solo, uh, have you are you finding it sort of anecdotally or in in or in real life that that people are m- more approachable or more interested in in helping you with your projects has it been a boost to yeah i think with the culmination of the three films and and also now with with um what's happening as you mentioned there's been a lot of you know what Roger Ebert wrote in his review and and AO Scott's review and just a general appreciation of goodbye solo which i'm very lucky about things do seem to be more open than before, um, and, and really, I have not strayed from from what I want to do, which is very difficult, uh, as you know. And my hope is to be able to continue to make films like Robert Altman or like a P.T. Anderson, people who have managed to have the good fortune to follow their own vision and stay stay true to it, and still reach audiences. And, and I'm hoping to be able to find a way to do that. Well, I think you know that. Uh we're big fans of your work. Uh, obviously, you've been a, g- a great friend of the show. You've been here for all three of your films, and we really appreciate you being here, and we really appreciate your film and your filmmaking, so thank you for that. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me three times. I, I appreciate it. Uh, well, the, the film is Goodbye Solo, and the director is Ramin Barani. Uh, we'll, we'll, hopefully, we'll, I can't wait to hear uh, you talk about your Western. So, well, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Right. I appreciate it. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.